Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Andrea Alvarez, the Chief Brand Officer of Innovation, International, and Sustainability for Natura. Welcome, Andrea. It's a pleasure to be here. Andrea, you know, I have to say you have such an impressive background. I know you've worked at so many large companies before, like PepsiCo and so many other ones. And I'm wondering how you found your way to beauty. Hmm. Well, actually, I started my career at PNG, and at PNG, I worked for a while on the Max Factor brand, a very, very, very long time ago. So, and then in hair care as well when I was uh, at PNG. So I had, you know, an incursion through beauty in somehow in the past. But I think my path to beauty is comes with my heart and comes with my love of this sector and of the possibilities that it brings. I mean, I do believe that cosmetics can be a vehicle for self-love, for uh, getting to know oneself, and for empowerment. So coming to a place like Natura was a dream come true. Did you consider yourself a beauty junkie in your own right? Were you someone who like loved testing and trying products or new trends? Well, I've always been uh, impacted by the beauty business because my mother is a beauty, I mean, absolute fan. Uh, so all of my life, I, I watched her taking with her beauty rituals and her exploration of brands. So she is, she used to be a lot more curious than I was actually for a very long time. And during my teenage years, I think she kind of, you know, was a bit concerned that I would never get there, but I did. <laughs> And, I think all mothers <laughs> feel that way. Mine certainly did too. <laughs> but I think um, after I came to Natura, that just, I think this love just amplified because uh, I mean, just playing with the products and investigating them and seeing what the R&D team is coming up with and, you know, and the brand teams are um, confectioning with the concepts and ideas and all the possibilities we have there. And because we are so connected to nature, of, of which I'm also a, a, a huge fan. I mean, I, I, I believe in nature as a healing ground. Um, the fact that we are immersed in the Amazon biome is also, I think it elevates it to another level because not only is it um, cosmetic connection, it's a, co- it's a connection with the ingredients and how these products are made. So before we kind of dive into what life at Natura has been like this last year, which has been so wild and unprecedented, I'd love to understand, um, Andrea, like what exactly your purview is, because you cover so much, you know, you're covering brand, you're covering innovation, you're covering sustainability, and arguably, like at so many other companies, you know, that's three different people. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And there is definitely, it is um, a big plate. I mean, it's, it is. Uh, the thing is, it makes total sense for Natura because this is a brand that has always understood that these things could never be connected. I could never idealize or conceptualize a brand intention, uh, and connecting it with technology without looking at the impact that it will have. Um, you know, for people and for the world and starting with the individual. So uh, when you add that up, you've got brand R&D and sustainability right there. And so and and the fact that they are integrated is what makes this brand and the product so unique because they're not separate things. They are integrated to come up with the ideal solution for whatever problems we want to solve. Be, you know, and it's through 
the connection with the individual that we also find ways to create solutions that also help the planet. So the whole thing's very integrated. And when I oversee all of this, it's just amazing the um, unexpected connections that we end up making. And that's why I think we create such incredible innovative products. Andrea, tell me a little bit about this last year, because, you know, obviously, you know, we're in different parts of the world right now. I'm in New York um, and, you know, New York is finally seeing a little bit of a rebound. You know, life as we know it has changed so much in the last 15 months, but it's almost like pre-pandemic times. And I'm wondering what's it been like for Natura, like both from an operational perspective and like also from, um, you know, a, a winning and losses perspective, like what's been working and, and how have you guys fared? Oh, absolutely. Well, yes, 2020, we all agree, was a year that completely changed our lives. I mean, really, uh, entirely. And I think in, in many ways, we learned as we went along. I mean, no one had uh, solution pre- prepared <laughs> for this. So we had to find our way through it. And we still are. I mean, in Latin America specifically, the situation is still very challenging. Uh, we navigated with the, with the vision that we had. And many times that was next day vision because, you know, things were so just, just upside down. Uh, but I think it also showed us in a very concrete way, things that were conceptual ideas, but that I don't think people grasped very much, which is, for example, the concept of interdependency, you know, and how we are absolutely connected to the other and we are not alone on this planet. Um, it also showed how vulnerable we are and how we need to increase resilience uh, of the business models we have of ourselves to be able to cope with these scenarios and situations and how networks are so important to help us through and how solutions will be identified through more people, not less. And that's why we need to find ways to collaborate. And, and I think the whole vaccine journey is a beautiful example of scientists collaborating across the world in search of a common so, you know, of a common goal, in search for a solution of a common goal that we all had. So at Natura, this, that wasn't different. Um, we were very worried in the beginning. We, we just wanted to, you know, halt the contagion, protect our network and our people, and then find ways to keep the economy going, but protecting people, making sure people were safe first and foremost. And so we had to adapt. Everyone, every one of us went online, like, Next day, we were in our houses and we were learning how to navigate and run businesses ap apart from each other. Uh, that also really significantly accelerated all digital aspects of the business, which we were preparing for, that we were preparing for, I think, for a very long time. And it and the fact that we were prepared really helped us to shift um, from one day to maybe not the next day, but a few weeks, uh, the millions of consultants that are connected to our network. We're doing business through WhatsApp, online, with their digital stores. And that also saw exponential growth. Um, and even the categories that we saw people, uh, you know, migrating to or leaving behind, that was also something that we were perceiving as people's relationship with the pandemic evolved. And so self-care, um, you know, um, home rituals, do-it-yourself 
uh, uh, routines, all of that really rose up in a way that we hadn't seen before as well. Tell me, Andrea, you know, obviously you just kind of mentioned that you're still kind of in the midst of it, you know, Latin America, especially in Brazil. Um, What's it like there right now? And like how, you know, it seems like it's coming in waves, you know, everywhere there's, you hear about a third or a fourth wave. Have you returned to any sort of normalcy or is this strictly the new normal? Oh, we're still in a weird space. Uh, in Latin America. I mean, you've got some countries like Chile that are a bit further down in terms of the vaccination programs for everyone. But uh, the majority of the Latin American countries are still in the initial stages of vaccination. Um, And but with very it was very difficult also to do complete lockdowns because the whole socioeconomic landscape isn't a favorable one um, in terms of ensuring that you keep people really in isolation. I mean, you, there's some situations where it's just not possible. Uh, so we, we've we seen reduction in, in overall death rate. It's dropped by half, but it's still very high. It's still very high and, and we can't get used to it because one thing that worries me is that, you know, you see the numbers fall from 4,000 deaths per day to 2,000 deaths per day. It's still 2,000 deaths per day. I mean, it's still not acceptable on any measure. Uh, but the trend is of reduction. So I do think we're kind of initiating this phase of seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. That's good to know, you know, because when you're millions of miles away, it seems like you, you really can't get a sense of what's happening there or in India, in, in the UK. Um, you know, we all haven't been traveling in so long. But Andrea, you know, here in the U.S., I would have to say that like social selling brands, you know, whether it was um, Beauty Counter or Stella and Dot, um, even the body shop here, you know, which has kind of been ramping up their business, really fared well during the pandemic, partially because of their representatives and be able this word of mouth strategy that you're talking about. But, you know, I'm wondering, A, like, what was that like for you and what is that like? But B, you know, how are you able to convince people to talk about makeup right now when the situation is still so hit or miss? Hmm. Well, exactly the same thing happened for us. Social selling has been absolutely critical to the fact that we've been so resilient and that we actually fared well in the in 2020. Uh, we were a social network before social networks existed. They have been just, um, they've been dialed up with digital tools that actually amplify reach of that model and business model. So the same thing for us. And we actually helped many of our consultants to up their capabilities in digital. So their skills in using digital tools and actually being able to sell in this environment. And we reached 1.3 million virtual consultant stores in Latin America over the past year, which is incredible. That's, you know, more than doubled the size that we were seeing pre pandemic. So that absolutely helped. And the, I guess to our benefit, we are very much spread across different categories. So we do have makeup, we have skincare, we've got body care, we've got hair care, um, we've got fragrances. So that is also in its way, uh, you know, a protection because we have a portfolio of product solutions and we could 
navigate together with consumers the different preferences that they were having and adapting our lines as well. I mean, we also produced uh, uh, hand sanitizers for a while, and we still are. We've incorporated them into some of our lineups, uh, and we've changed the mix. So even in makeup, we saw significant increase in eye, in eye care, in eye makeup. So lashes and, and, you know, and, and, and even foundation use, um, increased, which is very different from what we used to see in the past. So we kind of adapted and, and learned and quickly responded to the different consumer behaviors we were seeing. I looked at the recent earnings report for Natura and company, and it seemed like you guys had blow, like out, blowing it out of the water in terms of your great growth in D to C and then as well in the region, right? That you continue to gain market share in the region. Like, do you think that was because you were so maybe insulated from the brick and mortar uh, physical retail that you were able to like capitalize almost in a way? I definitely think that was the that was the case. I mean, we have within Natur and Co, we've got, you know, a, a breadth of different channel options. Uh, so we do have a lot of retail in the body shop. Um, and we were on a retail journey within Natura. Those were significantly affected. But we, because we were connected to this direct-to-consumer network, we transferred that capability to the parts of the business that were you know, used to a different way of doing business and helped to mitigate part of that drop. But by all means, being a direct-to-consumer model made our navigation of this tough time significantly better than other companies, I would say. What do you think the um, outlook is for stores, Natura stores after this? Like, are, I mean, do you still feel bullish about them or do you think that it'll be like a smaller footprint versus a bigger online distribution? I think we're going very fast towards omnichannel. The, the, the idea of omnichannel and the consumer buying or interacting with the brand in different ways, the mix will probably change. But I don't think anyone has that crystal ball yet as to where it's going to land. But we have definitely not given up on retail because there are some, some aspects of that experience that you can't, you can't emulate in any other channel. I mean, you walk into that experience, you have the full product portfolio around you. It, there's an experimentation aspect of this. And once all of this is over, I do think people will want very much to be in the streets and around. So um, I don't think anyone really knows. And, and we see it, yes, shrinking for a while, but and it will evolve but um, we don't yet know exactly where it's going to land, and we still bet on it. How do you feel the representatives have been faring? You've grown that headcount substantially, but you know what are their challenges or or you know opportunities like during this time? Because obviously they can all grow their businesses much bigger, probably because they can contact anyone in the world digitally. But at the same time, you know is is the tools and the innovations that you guys are providing like able to make that easier for them or some of them a little bit more reticent to try? Like I'm wondering, cause I know, you know, some of the representatives historically have been a little bit older and I definitely want to ask about, you know, if that's getting younger, but please tell me. It is getting younger. Uh, but even the ones that are not have very quickly adapted. So even the ones that were more resistant a while ago in the face of the need, they learned. 
I mean, they learned. And I think we were very skillful at helping them navigate that learning process. So we put many tools at their disposal. We helped them. We taught them. We, we simplified the processes for them uh, as a way to reduce that challenge of, of adoption. And I think that helped significantly for them to, to go that way. And some of the other uh, issues that they faced, especially in the beginning of the pandemic and again in the second wave right now, was we extended payment terms. We gave them credit. So we also supported them in a time of need where things were very ambiguous and you know people didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I think the fact that we stood there for them, we saw their connection to the brand increase tremendously. And I think it's because they felt we were there for them and we helped them out with the very specific issues that they were facing. I'm sure that matters a lot to these women right now. Um, Tell me a little bit about who you think she is. Like what kind of person is, you know, the Natura representative? Like what is she like? What is she, what is she fond of? Well, we currently have 2 million Natura Beauty consultants (laughs) across Latin America. (laughs) And, and that is to say that it, usually follows demographic profile of the societies in which we're in. But yes, she used to be 40 plus female. Um, educational level varies very much. So we do see different educational um, 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 profiles, more urban. Um, but then again, Latin America is 85% urban, not rural. So it kind of, again, follows the, the demographic profile of the societies we're in. But what we did see is there was a whole lot of consultants that entered that were up to 10 years average younger than this typical profile. So we're probably now at 36, maybe 37. <laughs> Um, and in terms of, of, of an average age. Would you say that she's being introduced to Natura for her mom or her grandmother, or is this a totally new swath of women that may be finding out about you via social media or WhatsApp or via friends? Both both things. Uh, the, the thing is also we are a very strong brand in Latin America, so it's kind of hard for you not to know Natura in Latin America. Um, but even in, in Malaysia, because we've got, you know, an, um, a pilot in Malaysia where we're testing our way in Asia. Um, and there absolutely everyone is new to the brand, but it's funny how we already see a few of them being endorsed by their friends to connect to the network. So I would say there's just a, a very vast profile of, of entries, but some of them are first Natura users. They knew the brand, but they weren't using the brand. Let's talk about categories for a second, because I want to know like, if you're seeing like a difference in what those representatives are selling versus, say, some of your older representatives. Are you seeing like a difference in consumer behavior? Well, what we did see is we saw an increase in uh, personal care and personal cleansing products. Um, and that Evolve, but also in the case of Natura, because we are an indulgent brand. I mean, to you know, to use our liquid soap, to use our scrubs, to 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 use our shampoos. I mean, you you navigate into the sensorial environment. So it's more than just the cleaning for the cleaning. It's just you know a self care moment. Um, and we saw those spike really high during the year. And what's 
and it became bestsellers for these representatives as well. They, we've always been very strong. I mean, and, and even with things like our hand creams, our castagna line of hand creams, it's just, it's best selling in every single country in the world where we enter. So these things continued. In the U.S. specifically and in France, what we saw was a growth in our mom and baby line. And that made us think a lot about it because this is a very interesting line. It's extremely safe. It's dermatologically, dermatologically, dermatologist proof, uh, uh, proven to be able to be used on the first day of, of the baby's um, uh, birth. Um but it is about caring about the mother and the baby because it is a line of products for the mother during her pregnancy as well as postpartum and then also for the baby and with many products that actually stimulate the connection between mother and child. And so one of the things, the hypotheses we have is in this period of extreme adversity, that loving care that was transmitted and is transmitted through this line also really connected with people. And it's a huge bestseller in the U.S. Huge, huge. I was just about to ask you, you know, where have you seen, you know, the biggest growth? I mean, obviously, Brazil and Latin America, you guys are huge. You are synonymous with beauty and personal care. But what about the other regions you're in? Like, where have you seen like the most maybe surprises or growth during this challenging time? Well, I am really happy to say that we are booming in terms of growth, both in the U.S. as well as in Europe and in Malaysia with our new. But Malaysia has so many specificities that but we've been in the U.S. for a while and we've been for a short while, but we've been for a short while and in France for a longer time and now expanding throughout Europe. And we have grown very fast over the past years and especially last year. And I think that was due to the fact that our online sales increased significantly. So this stay at home and purchase online also increased. We also saw um, a, a search for more natural-based products in general. I think people are in search of natural solutions for their cosmetic products. And we were, were beginning to be this good answer for, for many people who are seeking that. Tell me a little bit about your sustainability purview, because, you know, I think you segued that quite nicely, Andrea, you know, obviously like during this time, I think you're right. Like we've seen a move to natural. We've seen a move to sustainable and clean. You know, these customers have more time to think about what they're purchasing. And I know that you have pretty much had a very holistic approach to what, how you think about sustainability, your connection to the Amazon, you know, your natural ingredients. And so I guess I'm wondering how you're able to message all of this and communicate all of this because it is quite in depth. It is. And, you know, it's been a challenge for us in the past because it's always been so connected to who we are that we we never looked at it through a lens of something that you would talk about. We just did it because it made sense for who we are. But we've learned you know, that we need to talk about it because it's incredible. And many times people don't know about it. And it's the fact that it is so ingrained in what we do in our practices and our choices. I mean, we were the first beauty company in the world to launch refills in cosmetic products in 1983. I mean, that's, we were carbon neutral in 2007. Uh, we went to the Amazon 
to look at that biome in 2000. I mean, when no one was talking about these things, we were like already, you know, with our hands uh, full in, in, in this, in this agenda. And I think last year we elevated the conversation in terms of talking about this when we, as a group, launched our 2030 vision uh, for Nature Co. And we made three, uh, well, we made many commitments, but around three very important pillars. The first one was to address climate change and protect the Amazon. So we have pledged that we will foster collective efforts to ensure zero deforestation in the Amazon by 2025, which is a huge ambition. And we don't, you know, we definitely don't think we're going to do this by ourselves, but we are actively working on societal, public sector, and uh, private sector engagement in creating the pathways for solution for that. We have a second pillar called defend human rights and be humankind. So the whole agenda of human rights, but not only human rights, living wage, diversity and inclusion, um, traceability and care of our supply chains to make sure that, you know, uh, our business models and our value chain are the best that they can be. And last but not less important, to embrace circularity and regeneration, which are, you know, big buzzwords, but it these are the models we need to go towards. We need to make things come back and we need to regenerate as we are doing business. And, and so this is this global pledge. All four companies in the group have adopted that. They are based on many of the practices that Natura as a company used to have on its own. And now we're amplifying that to the whole group. And then in each different region, it cascades in different ways. So in the US, we were finding how we can increase our local impact. And we've just partnered with Slow Factory Open Education as a way to also discuss and promote uh, sustainable business practices and talk specifically about that in our, um, in our standing forest economic business model in the Amazon. Uh, we have engaged also in telling people about the history and the heritage and the origins of our ingredients, such as Tucumán. And so, it permeates the business um, and it permeates our products through the choices we make and the actions we take. It's interesting that you said that you guys have been doing some of this stuff since 1983. I mean, that's fascinating to me because right now people are acting like refills or like a brand new idea. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I, it's like I, I get pitched these all the time. You know, we're doing refills. And I'm wondering, you know, there seems to be like a big there's there's so many buzzwords in sustainability right now sustainability being one of them or climate neutral or climate uh, or net or zero waste, you know, all of these words. And I'm just wondering, you know, how are you able to get the consumer to actually participate? Because, you know, I think that seems that's especially the problem here in the U.S. is that, yes, everybody has a TerraCycle partnership or or launching refills. But then then what? Is it actually going to end up in a landfill or is it actually going to be recycled? And I think that the beauty industry specifically has had a focus on recycling only, but not thinking about the whole picture, which you kind of just described. Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, tell me how you're engaging the customer to be, I guess, a more holistic part to either refill or think about sourcing or, you know, impacting their environment this way. 
Uh, I think, well, first of all, there isn't a silver bullet. There's a series of actions that we need to take. So all the way from educating consumers and making them aware to ask questions. I mean, where does my product come from? Uh, who produces this? What ingredients come inside? I think all of that is important, as well as them understanding that they're a part of the equation and therefore they need to adopt different behaviors, be it buying more refills or giving back their, you know, their empty, uh, bottles or, 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 uh, packages, um, as well as doing a big part of the work as well. I mean, so a, a lot of this is we are also actively reducing the, you know, the plastic or, uh, the materiality of our products. We are also significantly increasing the post-recycle consumption use of different materials, be it glass, be it plastic, uh, be it paper. Uh, and we've, in the case of Natura, we created a business model, which when you buy a product from Natura, you are automatically contributing to a business model that keeps the forest standing because the way we do business through uh, a sustainable extractive uh, models with 7,000 families in the Amazon region, you know, 7,000 communities that are 28,000 people connected to this network that uh, harvest sustainably, leaving in nature what is needed for nature to regenerate and using agroecology practices for you to harvest and or extract. And then you pay these people a fair and just price and you also pay for access to benefit sharing, which is you know, we are accessing biodiversity or cultural, traditional heritage knowledge. We have to pay for that and we pay for that. And then we help these communities decide where to best invest the money that flows back to them. And that has created a business model that was able to conserve 2 million hectares of forest in the Amazon over the past years. That is half the size of the country of Holland in terms of forest. And, and it's huge, but at the same time, it's minuscule if you think of the size of the Amazon. So we need more. <laughs> we need more of that to happen. Um, so it's a combination. And, and I think you need to stimulate people as well because our refills, they have also a cost advantage. So it's also good for you. You're going to pay less. Uh, and you're going to be using, you know, a solution that also emits less carbon and produces less waste. You know, a lot of brands today are talking about mission or purpose. And it seems like for you all, it really does go back to the Amazon, to the rainforest. That seems to be the thread that we're talking about through all of these things. Do you think that like that focus has made it almost easier to implement these actions? Because when you're talking about, you know, fair wages and you're talking about, you know, the size of the Amazon, I mean, it kind of all ties in together. So I'm just wondering, I mean, do you think that that focus has helped galvanize, you know, the company and, and the representatives and the customers? It's funny. You're the first person who says we're focused. I usually hear the opposite. I hear that, you know, we, we embrace too many things. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear. Um, I do think, yes, the Amazon is a passion point that um, is helpful. But when you look at the other causes that we talk about, so living Amazon is one, but we also talk about more beauty, less waste. And we talk about every person matters. 
Although the, although these things also, you know, cut through to an Amazon angle, they also stand, stand alone. I mean, inclusion is not just of these communities in the Amazon. It is of people of color. It is of indigenous populations, yes, but of people of color as well, uh, or Asians. So, I mean, we, so, it, inclusion, when we look at the pillar, every person matters, which is one of our, you know, causes, um, it's, it spreads into three dimensions. It, it's diversity and inclusion. And there we talk about gender, we talk about ethnic racial, we talk about LGBTQIA, and we talk about disability. So it's, it's, there are many things in that aspect. We talk about education as a means of, you know, amplifying consciousness of giving power and empowering people through more knowledge and access to knowledge. And then we've got the living wage aspect, which is economically, we need to make sure that people are accessing what is enough for them to lead dignified lives. And um, so I don't know, it's hard for me to say which is a bigger passion point for us because we don't want to see the oceans, you know, with more plastic than than fish by 2050 either. So we're actively engaging in the whole plastics agenda with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and the commitments there. Um, but I was happy to hear that you thought we're focused. <laughs> well, that's how I read it. In my way of covering you guys, that's definitely how I've always thought of it. But, um, you know, Andrea, tell me, I guess, when you think about the next year, you know, there's so much, you know, still up in the air and there is still so much unknown. But What's your focus going to be like for the second half of 2021, whether it comes to product or people or sustainability? I would love to hear kind of like what your outlook is um, and focus is going to be for the rest of the year. Well, I think one of the big focus is Echoes and the Amazon because we just relaunched Echoes in Brazil and it will be relaunching it in the U.S. in July. Um, so with and for a very long time now, we're launching a new a bio-ingredient called Tucuman, which is a very special bioactive from the Amazon forest. It's a fruit that comes from a native palm tree. And um, it's it's the story is beautiful because this is one of those trees where when you have fires or you have degraded areas, it's the first tree to sprout because it has so much energy in it. It's 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 a very brave tree palm tree. <laughs> and, and this inspiration also led us to understand better, you know, the f- physical chemical components of that, of that tree and of its fruit. And we've actually accessed the, the fruit of the palm tree and we've used its crude butter and the crude oil to use in the products we're launching right now. And they are just incredible because they regenerate your skin the same way it kind of regenerates the forest. And we're very excited about this new launch and about everything that goes with the relaunch of the Echoes brand with even more naturality, even more bioactive ingredients and this new uh, hero product, Tukuma. So this is really an opportunity to kind of double down, if you will, on like all the things that we've been talking about, right? Absolutely. Andrea, it was so wonderful having you today. I feel like we have to have you on again. Um, it's I have so many more questions and I really want to, you know, connect again about this. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.